take our Bibles to Mark chapter number 9. Mark chapter number 9. And a day where the church has been so kind in their thoughts and things, this sermon in no way reflects any of that today. I thought about the title of my sermon this morning being The Severity of Sin and the Harshness of Hell. I thought that would be a great title for it, because that's literally some of the things that we're going to be talking about this morning in this passage. But today we're going to look at the realities of sin, the realities of hell, and the realities of salt. Those three things this morning. One of the things I love about going verse by verse through a book is you just don't skip over any. You just go to the next verses. And uh, so these are things that you would not hear preached often, but they're needed and they're Bible and they're important. I will also say next Sunday is going to be, if you look at chapter number 10, chapter number 10 is the next passage that we're at, and we see marriage and divorce are mentioned. In 11 years of pastoring, I have never preached a message on that topic. Next Sunday, I will be preaching a message on that topic. And I would encourage you to be here. And I know some of you say, well, pastor, I've been divorced. Are you going to make me feel bad? I'm not going to make you feel bad. We live in this world, but I'm going to teach you the principles and truths that are found in that passage. Because some people take that passage and go overboard with it. And then some don't go far enough. We'll talk about that next week, Lord willing. Unless the Lord comes, and if he comes, I'd much rather him come than preach that next Sunday. But we'll preach that next Sunday. Mark chapter number 9, verse 42. If you remember last week, remember how the disciples were arguing about who the greatest was? Do you remember that? And Jesus grabbed a little child, a young child, and said, whoever will take care of this little one in my name. He said lots of things about being a servant. He talked in that realm we look at verse 42. This is continuing on, right, where he was at. Look at verse 42. It says, And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. For it is better for thee to enter into life maim than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. For it is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. You see that same verse is three times mentioned. It's repeated three times for us right there. Verse 49. For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be, sh shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost its saltiness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves. And look at the end of this here. And have peace one with another. This is the concluding thoughts of what Jesus was telling them when they were disputing with one another about who the greatest would be. Because he concludes with and have peace one of another. I want to take a few minutes this morning, and I know it's 9.05. We're going to get right into the message. 
I won't cut the message short because we spend five minutes talking about me. I'll add five more minutes to the sermon if I have to. I don't cut the message short. Or the songs. Because we're singing in praise to him. So if it goes a few minutes over, I apologize for that. But you'll be all right. Just relax and get ready for the message today. But as we dive in this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then let's get to these thoughts today. Father, we need you today. We thank you for your love, for your mercy, and for your grace. We thank you for what you are doing in our lives, and we thank you for this church. We thank you for the blessings that you've given to us. And I pray this morning that as we look at this passage and as we dive deeper into it, that you would help us today. Guide our thoughts, guide our actions. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we look at this passage of Scripture, there are several things that we see. Three things I want to give you this morning. Number one, we're just going to dive right in. Number one, we need to avoid causing a follower of Christ to sin. That's what the Bible says right here. We need to avoid causing a follower of Christ to sin. Look at the first part of verse 42 right there. It says, Whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me. Jesus put a few minutes before, as we looked at last week, he put a young child before them there in the midst of his disciples. And as he did that, you know, some people say, well, what Jesus is saying is that if you offend or you hurt a child in any way, that's better for a millstone to be cast around your neck. I think that's true, but you're taking this out of context because that's not what this is talking about. Look at what it says there as we look at this verse. It says, and whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me. Young Christians. We got in the room this morning, we have a broad spectrum of Christians in the room today. Some have been Christians for, let's just see, if you've been a Christian for 30 or more years, would you raise your hand? My hand is up, I'm right at 30 years. Anybody been a Christian 40 years? Keep your hand up. Anybody been a Christian 50 years? Kristen, you've been a 50 years? Your hand was up 50? I didn't know you were that old. Anyways, we'll leave that one alone. Sorry, Chris. You had your hand up. I had to do it. Anybody been a Christian 60 years? 65? 70? So we are at 65, 66 years. Some of you can't even count that high anymore, right? You're like taking your shoes off. 66? Joy, 67. Okay, so we'll say, so we'll say the most mature, well, you might not act like the most mature, no, I'm just kidding, but the person who's been saved the longest in the room is between 66 and 67 years. That's a long time. Now, who's been saved under two years? Anybody in the room? Anybody under two years? Okay, we got Jenna right there and Stephanie. And so, Stephanie, is it you're under two years? Yeah, because March will be two years. No, wait. January will be of 2000. So you'll be, so coming up, you'll be at two years. So think about that. In our Christian walk, we have those that are 66 years in the Lord and some under two years in the Lord. And those are adults in the room. Stephanie's definitely not two. We won't go into her real age. It was her birthday yesterday, though. Happy birthday. And we sang to her last night. But this is the thing. Everyone's at a different spot in their Christian life. And when we look at that and we think about that, Jesus makes it clear, and whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me. 
Stephanie? There's still a little one in the floor. Really get into your terrible twos. Yeah, I know. I just thought about that. Whew, we're in trouble. But as we look at this passage, and when we dive deeper into it, we think about other passages. 1 John 2.28 refers to Christians as, And now little children abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And this word, you know how up earlier Jesus took a child? The word child there and little children are two totally different meanings. This is talking about a young believer in the Lord is what it's talking about. And that's what Jesus is talking about. We are not to cause one of these little ones to sin. Do you see what the phrase says there? Look at verse 42. It says, and whosoever shall offend. Now, the Bible uses the word offend there. That word means to sin. It comes from the Greek word scandaliso, where we get scandalized from. It means to offend, to entice, to entrap to put a stumbling block in front of someone. So what Jesus says right here is, whosoever shall put a stumbling block in the front of a little one of mine that believes in me, that's not good for them. Isn't that what you see right there? I'm not stretching it. I'm not adding to it at all. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 32, give none offenses neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles nor to the church of God. And sometimes I'll hear Christians ha say this, I have the liberty in Christ to do whatever I want to do. And that saddens me. Because you might have some liberties in the Lord. But may I also remind you this morning that love dictates and the word of God dictates that we got to be careful how we live our lives because there are other people watching the lives that we live. That's an important thing to remember today. Many people do not preach against that today. No, you live your life and live it however you want to. Jesus says no to the disciples as they've been arguing with one another. That's not how it's supposed to be. If you offend or you cause a stumbling block for one of these little ones, look at what he says. Look at the rest of the verse. Here. It says, It is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. The word translated for millstone is literally a donkey stone. It was a heavy several tons that a donkey was tied to in order to turn it. And the stone moved it crushed against the grain. The image of wearing a millstone necklace and being thrown into the sea is quite a scary thought when you really think about it. Unless you like water. I don't like water a whole lot, but I wouldn't want thousands of pounds to the bottom of the sea. And that's what Jesus says right here. I wrote down for you this morning in your notes eight ways we can cause a Christ follower to slide into sin. Because you got to remember that you got to be careful. Your, the life you live, you don't want to cause someone else to stumble by your actions. And you say, well, they should, they should take care of themselves. Yes, they should. But people do look at you. Your example is important. The life you live matters and there are many people and we look in the room the broad spectrum 66 years in christ to two years there's that's a broad spectrum there and there i'm sure there are plenty of younger christians in the lord looking today at those who've been saved for a long time looking at your example are you setting a trap for them are you 
causing a stumbling block in their life by the things that you do. Here are, some, here are eight things. Let me give these to you. And uh, what are some of the ways that we cause people to slide into sin? Well, first, of, by, not pre- by not practicing what we preach. By not practicing what we preach. This is a tough one for me. I preach every week, multiple times every week. And I have my kids that get to see everything that dad does. My wife sees everything that I do. Ryan gets to see some of the things more that I do than others do because he's around me a lot. And I got to try my best to help a younger Christian, the Lord, not by practicing what we preach. That's where a lot of pastors get in trouble. They preach one thing and live something else. We think about what Jesus said in Matthew 23, 25. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. How do we, how, what are some ways we can help someone stumble? By not practicing what we preach. Number two. Number two, are you ready? By gossiping about someone. By gossiping about someone. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 26, 20, where no wood is, the fire goeth out, right? Isn't that true? Is that a true statement right there? If you don't have any wood or something to burn, there's going to be no fire going. So where there is no talebearer, where there is no gossip, the strife ceaseth. Think about that one. How can we cause other followers of the Lord to slide into sin? By not practicing what we preach? By gossiping about someone? Next, number three, by directly tempting someone to sin. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be late. Could you just tell them, or, you know, asking someone to lie for you would be a good example of that. Oh, it's just a little lie. A little lie is sin. Doesn't the Bible say something how God hates lying lips? Doesn't it say that? We're going to look at next week. God does say he hates divorce. He says that. But he also says he hates lying lips. He hates a proud look. He hates those that spread gossip about others. He hates the action. We'll talk more about that next week. A little hint there. But when we look at it, do you cause someone to stumble by having them cover for you? You're a Christian. And you want to go to a concert that you're supposed to go to. And you call one of your buddies and say, hey, I'm going to a concert tonight. Could you just tell them at work that I'm sick? What you just did was encourage someone to sin and help you. There's a problem with that. That's what we're talking about here today. The Bible tells us in Matthew 18, 7, Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. So we see there, number three, um, by directly tempting someone to sin. How about number four? By involvement in sexual immorality. Oh, you're like, Pastor, you're really going at it today. Just a little bit. By involvement in sexual immorality. This causes you to sin and causes issues as well. If you are a Christian today, 
according to the word of God, you are called to treat your boyfriend or your girlfriend with purity. Look at what the Bible says of for men. 1 Timothy 5.2 The elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters, with all purity. That's how the men in the church are to treat Christian ladies. You see that right there? With all purity. It gets awful quiet in the room, doesn't it? Here's another thing. That's why it's not good for a Christian to be living with someone they're not married to. Oh, here you go, Pastor. Say, but we never do anything. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Do you need more help with that than that? What are you cause are you causing someone else to stumble by that sin in your life? And this is the thing. Well, you could look all day, and I got I got some Baptist friends that are crazy strict on certain things that the Bible says nothing about about I'm not telling you you have to do all those things to make them happy and cause them not I'm talking about what the Bible says okay we're Bible believers around here so if the Bible says something we need to follow and the Bible says that you're to flee fornication and we're supposed to stay away from adultery is that right that's right that's Bible truth there and so by doing those things we are not helping the cause we are we are hindering and hurting people at the same time Next, by using substances like alcohol or drugs, you could be sending the message that it's okay for others to do the same. People don't like things like this being brought up. Okay, let's be honest this morning. Does the Bible say it's a sin to take a drink of alcohol? It does not. It says that drunkenness is sin. But let me help you a little bit. If you don't drink, you'll never get drunk. Right? Am I wrong on that statement? I'm not wrong on that statement. And there might be some people that could tolerate having a drink and not going any further, but we're not. But this is the thing. So let's say, and I know there are a few people in our church that to them it's okay to have a drink once in a while, and that's on them, and they can figure that out for themselves, figure out what the Bible says. But let's say, and I do believe that drunkenness is sin. So let's say there's someone that in their past has had a problem with alcohol. You would be putting a stumbling block in front of them by drinking that in front of them. Doing exactly what this passage is talking about. Making it okay. It's not. And you might say, well, that's something between, between me and God. I think it's okay. I can have a drink. If, you, if that's where you're at and that's where you stand with it, then you need to be very careful who you do it with and where you're at. There's lots of things that go down that road. But sometimes, so someone sees you and you've been a Christian for 30 years, and they're like, oh, they do it, so it must be okay for me. And we could lead people down the wrong path. It's awful quiet in here this morning. Number six, by teaching false doctrine, we can lead people. There are many young Christians that get saved, want to get on fire for God, and they just get in the wrong place under the wrong teaching, and it totally messes up their thinking spiritually. And they don't know any better. And that is wrong. 
We must teach them the word of God. And there's verses there, but we're running out of time, so we need to keep on going. Number seven, we see by not encouraging believers, that's another way that we can help others sin and lead them down the wrong road. Hebrews 3.13 tells us, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We're to exhort one another daily, encourage one another. And then here, number eight, here's a good one, by not gathering with God's people, according to what the Bible tells us in Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. We truly are, you know, remember how Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? In all reality, as a Christian, we are there to help our, we are our brother and sister's keeper. We need to help encourage them to do what's right by the way that we live. That's what Jesus is teaching right here. Now, you got to understand, you're going to mess up. You're never going to be perfect with it. But we got to understand something. The way we live matters. Do we get that? Do we see that verse? Do we understand where we're going today? So number one. We see, avoid causing a follower in Christ to sin. Number two, cut off anything that causes you to sin. So what do you mean by that? Well, let's look at the next few verses, verse 3 through 48. It says, And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off, for it is better for thee to enter into life than having two hands to go into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter, halt into life, having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched and if thine eye offend thee pluck it out it is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of god with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where their worm dieth not and the fire isn't quenched i must not ensnare others or help trap others to sin but i must also be careful that i don't fall into the trap of sin as well in my own life and so Jesus uses the strongest of terms right here to communicate this to us, that it's better to lose limbs and have your eye plucked out than to spend an eternity in hell. That's what he says here. Now, let me just help you out today. He is not literally telling you to chop your arm off, to cut your foot off, or to pull your eye out. He's not literally telling you that, okay? But what he's saying here with the foot and the eyes it represents the three big ways that we sin. When you think about it, the hand refers to our actions. The foot speaks to who we hang out with, and the eyes stand for what we look at. That's so he's covering most the all the areas that we sin with. And so Jesus wants them to deal with the sin in their lives. And he's using, he says, cut it off, pluck it out. And we see that. It's under, and it says it's better to do that. Now we know we talk about hell being mentioned here. We'll talk more about hell in just a minute. It's not saying you've got to cut all the sin out of your life if you're going to go to heaven. But there are many people who love their sin, and I've witnessed to many. I'm happy with my sin. I'll live in my sin, and I'll see what happens. That's the gist of what they say. It's better to cut off your arm to, get, to stop sinning than to go to hell with both arms. When we look at this and we think about this, in 2003, 
Um, Aaron Ralston was hiking in eastern Utah. While he was descending a canyon, an 800-pound hand and pinning his right arm. Ralston had, told, had not told anyone of his hiking plans, so he knew no one would be searching for him, and if he didn't get free, he would die. After being trapped for five days, he used a dull pocket knife and cut off his forearm. He then rappelled nearly 70 feet and hiked three hours before he was rescued. So here's the question. If you're faced with the same dilemma, what would you, would you be able to do what he did? He had no, no alternative. Either lose the limb or keep it and die. What sin in your life needs to be cut out today? What sin needs to be plucked out today? What actions need to be amputated in your life today? Colossians 3, verse 5 and 6 tells us, Mortify therefore your members, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. You see how it says there, mortify, put to death. These things. That's what it says. Like Jesus said, cut it off, right? What sin is hindering your life today? What sin needs to be dealt with today? Billy Sunday used to say this. He said, one reason sin is flourishing is that people treat it like a cream puff instead of a rattlesnake. If you notice in verse 43, verse 45, and verse 47... Hell is used three times in this passage. The word is Gehenna. It was used of the city garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. Let me give you a little background on Gehenna for a minute. The background of Gehenna is pretty gross and pretty sick when you think about it. During the reigns of King Ahaz, as well as Manasseh, they offered their children, right, as sacrifices and these sacrifices happen in a deep ravine they called that Gehenna. That's where the name comes from. Jeremiah preached against these things. And Josiah, King Josiah, turned that valley into the city dump is what ended up happening. So it was no longer a place where children were sacrificed. And isn't it amazing to you today that God was concerned about his children sacrificing children on the altar of whatever the case may be. And think of all the aborted babies each and every day that happen in this country. It sickens God that innocent blood is shed. It's murder, and we could go more down that road, but I think you understand what I'm saying. So in this area, Gehenna, all of the trash, the refuse, the carcasses from animals, the bodies of criminals were all in this place. And to keep it from overflowing, what they did was fires were started that never went out, being fed constantly by the incoming garbage. So when Jesus used the term hell, people thought of that garbage pit. Because people considered Gehenna a cursed place of judgment and impurities. And it was an illustration 
of hell itself. Did you know that Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven? He did. And for sake of time, we're not going to go, well, I'm just going to read these to you. There are eight things we know about hell. The first one is hell is an actual place. Hell is real today. Just as heaven is real, and just as you believe heaven is real, hell is a real place. The rich man opened up his eyes in hell. Hell is real this morning. Number two, hell is a place of eternal punishment and judgment. There's no escaping it. You don't get there. You don't annihilate over time like some people think. It's eternal punishment and judgment. Hell is a place of divine wrath. The wrath of God is constantly on that place. It's a place of terrible torment. It's a place filled with misery and pain. It's a place filled with unquenchable thirst. It's a place full of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is eternal separation from God. I don't want to go too much deeper this morning, but you will notice every word matters, right? So three times, Jesus, you see the phrase, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. As we look at that, and we think of that verse, it is an Old Testament verse from Isaiah 66, 24, which says, And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me, for their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be a abhorring unto all flesh. That's where he's quoting this from. Hell is eternal, and the fire has no, that it will never be quenched. Remember that rich man said, if you could just send Lazarus to dip his finger in water, just put on my tongue, it doesn't happen. It goes on forever. You can never be satisfied. You can never be relieved. You'll notice that that verse says, their worm. I think what that's telling us is the fact that every person in hell has their own worm assigned to them. Because it's their worm. You see that right there? The word there is used. That's key right there. And the word worm is actually where the word maggot comes from. And I personally believe that it represents the internal torments of a conscience as the knowledge of the past sins eats at them. And the fact that they never came to Jesus Christ when they had ample opportunity. Where their worm, do you see that there? Dieth not. This morning we're called to be careful so we don't cause other Christians to stumble into sin. We also see, secondly, that we're called to cut off anything that causes us to sin. And number three, and lastly, this morning, we see that we are to live out the cause of Christ. We're to live out the cause of Christ. And, and we get to this passage, the end of it, and if it hasn't been hard enough already, this is a hard passage from Jesus. Look at verse 49. For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost its saltiness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. 
The word salt is used six different times in one form or another right here in three ways that I want to give you as we close this morning. The first way we see salt, letter A, is we have to learn to embrace suffering and sacrifice. Salt and fire were key ingredients in the sacrifices in the Old Testament. Every acceptable sacrifice had to be sprinkled with salt, according to Leviticus 2, verse 13. We have that verse, With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. So when Jesus declares everyone will be salted with fire, what he is telling us is, he's saying that everyone that is a living sacrifice will be defined through trials and suffering. That's what the salt and fire have to do with right there. Unbelievers will face the fires of hell. But as a believer, you're going to go through trials in the Christian life. You're going to. You're going to suffer. The Christian life is not easy. But you're a living sacrifice. And through the fire, you need to be salt as well. The second thing that we see is, letter B, we need to pursue purity and don't become spiritually contaminated. So what do you mean by that? Look at verse 50. It adds this. It says, salt is good. That was a saying in that culture that went like this. The world can't survive without salt. Did you know that's where the, um, the word salary comes from, the Latin word for salt? Did you know that? And do you know Roman soldiers were paid their wages in salt? That's where that phrase comes from, not worth your salt. That's where it comes from. And so Jesus continues, he says, salt is good. But if the salt hath lost its saltiness, wherewith will ye season it? The main salt, source of salt in that area came from the Dead Sea, known as the um, Salt Sea. This coarse salt often had impurities in it. And what would happen is it would cause contamination, and ultimately there, it would take away the saltiness, the savoriness of the salt. And salt with no flavor is worthless. Okay, let's be honest this morning. What are the best fries out there? Fast food fries. I'm going to give you three options, okay, real quick. Okay, McDonald's. Who would say McDonald's has the best fries? Raise your hand. That's some. All right. Who would say In-N-Out? I'm not a big fan of the In-N-Out ones either. I think because they're a little bit more healthy or something. They make them right there on the spot. But anyways, a third option. What's a third option? Jack-in-the-Box. Who likes Jack-in-the-Box fries? Gary Burger King? There we go. All right. I knew I knew I'd get one vote for Burger King, and that's how it normally goes for Burger King. But anyways, we'll leave that there. So now, is there anyone in the room that does not, you say, I, I like my fries with no salt? Is there anyone like that? Now, you might say, I do that because I have high blood pressure. Okay, I understand that. But everyone likes fries to have salt on them, I would think. And if you get fries that have no salt on them, what do you do? You find salt and put that on there, right? And you could be like my wife and put too much salt, but she likes them that way. You think about this. 
do you, and so we think about salt. We're supposed to be salt to this world, right? Are there contaminants inside of you today hindering you from being salt in this world? Salt is good. But if there's no saltiness to it, if there's no flavor to it, what good is it? We're all called to be salt, right? So we need to make sure we're not spiritually contaminated so we can be a light to this world around us and be salt like we should be. And then the final thing, letter C, is intentionally influence those who are lost. Look at the intentionally influence those who are lost. Look at the end of verse 50 there. It says, have salt in yourself. It's a present imperative, meaning Christ followers must constantly be evaluating the amount of influence they are having on the world around them. We need to live salty lives. Because if you live a salty life, what are you going to do? If you have something that's really salty, what do you have to do after you eat it? You drink water. Do you get the analogy right there? Our lives should be so salty that people are seeking for the water of life to get them where they need to be in Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about right here. But this is the thing. We all have salt, but if you leave it in the salt shaker, does it do any good? So in your neighborhood and your neighbors, when's the last time you sprinkled some salt? And they saw your witness, and they saw your saltiness. When's the last time your coworkers at work, you sprinkled some salt at work, and they were around it? When's the last time you sprinkled some salt around your fellow church members? But lots of times we keep that salt in us, and that does no good. Have it. Use it. Let people get it. And then what do we see the final challenge is? Have peace one with another. And this completes what Jesus was trying to say to his disciples. He was teaching them some lessons here. Hey guys, you're arguing about who the greatest is and who's going to be the greatest. Be careful. Because there's going to be those that are trying to follow me looking at your example. And avoid causing those followers to stumble by what you're doing right now. Hey guys... It might be time to cut off the pride in your life and the areas you're struggling with. It would be better just get rid of those things in your life so you don't get trapped by sin as well. And guys, our whole goal together is to be living out the mission before everyone else. They should be seeing in you this salt. And when they see that salt, they're going to want the water of life. You see what Jesus is trying to teach them? Jesus is the master teacher. No one does it like he does. Did the Lord speak to you at all this morning? There's some areas we need to work on today. There's some areas in our own lives we need to clean up. Is there anything that we need to cut out of our lives that's causing us to sin? Do we need to get out our salt shaker and start sprinkling it on the world around us and those that we live around? Whatever the Lord spoke to you about, I pray that you would answer Day during our invitation. Father, I thank you for